All right, everybody. Happy Sunday. My name is Ryan Miner. You're listening to A Minor Detail on blogtalkradio.com. And uh, we have a great show tonight. I am literally right in front of my very good friend whom I've got to meet um, last year. Um, first time. What was it, Ashwani? Over a cup of coffee? I think so. At yeah. Panera Bread. Yeah. But I have the distinct privilege and pleasure to introduce uh, my friend, Ashwani Jane, who is running for Montgomery County Council at large. I believe you might be the youngest guy running. Uh, I think that's what I heard, yeah. Is that true? <laughs> I, okay. I think so. Yeah, I'm 28, so I think I might be the youngest oh, one of them. I that's good. That's good. You start out young. So tonight we're just going to have a conversation with Ashwani, and the, the whole purpose of this is to introduce him. Not that he needs an introduction because he's been um, at this for quite some time now, but he's, he's running strong. And he is out and about in the community all over the place in Montgomery County. In fact, every time I'm out covering an event, I see him and he has a great team and he is um, really working hard um, as an organizer. He's a progressive Democrat. And uh, in Montgomery County, um, I don't see a Republican winning this time around. I mean, it's, it's going to be a tough year for the Republicans, especially here in Montgomery County. But um, I think we're all really happy that um, – People like Ashwani, as in a young guy with a real plan and a platform and with, organiz- with, with organizing skills and a hell of a narrative, is going to jump in and he wants to go into public service. That's admiral. So um, thanks for coming on tonight. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. So let's, let's just start out by getting to know you and where um, your life has begun and about your family because you you have a very interesting backstory. You're a first generation American, uh, Indian uh, Indian American, yeah. and your family immigrated here from India. Yeah. And by the way, if you haven't met Ashwani's mom and dad, they are the two <laughs> kindest, most interesting, lovable people you will ever meet. And I mean that. And some you'll see them occasionally on the campaign trail. Um, and uh, I know that they're very proud of their son, and they should be because. This is a it's a big step. This is a milestone. You're running for an at-large seat in one of our nation's largest jurisdictions. We have a massive education system. We have a, over a million people who live in Montgomery County, yeah. and essentially you're going to represent all one million, whatever how many there are. There's yeah. <laughs> it seems to be growing every day. But um, Ashwani, he he is um, like as I mentioned, he's a first generation American. Um, a native of Montgomery County. So why don't you start and yeah. just introduce yourself and tell us about your backstory. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to first just say thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, yeah. I, always, I always know I'm doing the right thing when I see you. So uh, now that I'm being interviewed, well, I yeah. uh, really love it. And, and thanks for everyone who's listening. Um, so a little bit about me. I'm a first-generation American, like Ryan mentioned. Uh, I'm a native of Montgomery County, born and raised, never left. Uh, I am a first-generation American. My parents are small business owners. Um, I personally lived and grew up in four of the five council districts, kind of all over Montgomery County. Which ones? Uh, so um, all districts but two. So one, three, four, and five. Rockville. And okay. Then Liv- I live in two. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, but I'm, I'm 12 minutes away from you. Yeah, you're, ver- you're very close. <laughs> yeah, so I just came up on Stony, Stony Creek. Oh, ah, okay, okay. And yeah, just yeah. it because I, I went past your villa, yeah. and I, I take the back route. To get to you. And yeah. it, it took me 12 minutes. Yeah, that's yeah. not bad at all. That's yeah. not bad at all. So if I ever get thrown out, if Kim throws me out, I'm going to come stay. <laughs> you can stay with me. I'm going to stay with you. <laughs> and you know, we have the best food too. So we got you. The, the very, very best. Food. 
But um, no, but a little bit about why I'm running in the first place. So like I mentioned, I'm 28, but 15 years ago when I was 13, I was diagnosed and treated for cancer. Uh, specifically, it was called non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it's, is, is that the same kind of cancer that the governor had? It is. It yeah. Is, yeah. Governor well, he's, he has, but I mean, he's in remission. Now. Correct. Right. Correct. Yeah. I'm, I've been very blessed to say I'm 15 years cancer free. Yeah. Amen um, to you. Uh, yeah. I, I've been very blessed. Um, and so. Tell us about that. I mean, what yeah. was that experience? And you were, you, you say you, you were in your, you were a teenager. Yeah. And when you first were diagnosed with oh. cancer, how did that, how did that happen? And what was, yeah. you know, what, tell us about that process. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's one of those things you never expect to happen. Um, you know, so I was in the middle of eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like most uh, like most boys, I just kind of goofed around. I was a great student. I gave my sister a hard time, though. You went to which high school? Uh, so this is when I was in middle school. Okay. We were middle school, uh, but right. then I went to Churchill High School after that. Okay, so you're a Churchill grad. Yeah. Just like most grade. people around here. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah but, but yeah, you know, eighth grade, um, I remember, you know, whenever I brushed my teeth, I saw a big tonsil. So my left tonsil was actually covering half of my mouth. Oh my gosh. But I didn't feel any pain. I was eating fine, drinking fine. I just noticed it whenever I brushed my teeth. Right. So then what ended up happening is, uh, I, I went on a school field trip and because half of my mouth was covered, I used to snore really loudly. So a bunch of my friends would make fun of me like, Oh man, you snore so loudly. So uh, what I ended up doing was going to the doctor because I said, mom, dad, you know, before my next field trip, I need to get this snoring fixed. We went to my doctor. As as soon as she opened my mouth, uh, my doctor said, you know what? Something's not right here. Like, I don't know what this is, but that shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. And again, for me, I never thought anything of it. So we get the tonsil removed. um, And then a month later, we get called into the children's hospital in DC, the oncology unit. It's me, my mom, and my dad. We walk into the oncology department. At that point, I'm not thinking anything, but my parents start to notice that, hey, something's going on, because why would they call us here? The doctor brought us to uh, his office. He sat us down, and he looked at us and said, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Jane, your son has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And at that moment, uh, we didn't know what that meant. So my dad actually laughed and said, oh, great. I thought it was something bad. Uh, And then the doctor said, no, I'm sorry, Mr. Jane, your son has cancer. And, you know, I was heartbroken. My parents were heartbroken. And even though I didn't understand what cancer was, right? I thought it was only something that happens to old people and I didn't understand the, the magnitude of it. It hit me when I looked at my parents and I saw them cry. And for me, that was the first time it hit me saying, okay, I may not make it. Um, this is pretty serious. What stage? So luckily they found it at a very early stage. Um, I only had to go through four months of chemotherapy. And I say only four months because every other child that I met while I was at the children's hospital, they were not only younger than I was, but they also had harsher treatments and for longer periods of time. So did you have to leave school and then undergo treatment? So I, I went through treatment. I was going back and forth. Um, so, you know, I took chemotherapy. Uh, you sit in a chair for eight hours while this medicine drips in you. You're completely nauseous. And for the next two weeks, you're just in bed, um, you know, feeling awful. And then I went uh, for a week of class and I had the amazing, I had amazing friends, amazing, amazing guidance counselors, uh, teachers who kind of helped me catch up with all my students um, and then I did that for four months. So out of, out of school for two weeks, in school, two weeks, uh, in, in school for a week. Um, I managed to still get straight A's. That's So that was awesome. Um, and actually my teacher at that time, my history teacher is a guy named John Keller. Um, he just recently retired after being a 40 year MCPS teacher. Uh, and I actually had the honor of having him introduce me at my campaign kickoff last summer. So, um, staying in touch with, with some of those teachers who really, you know, were there for me when I needed them to be. What was the moment when the doctor told you, yeah. and I'm sure you remember this, that you 
your cancer was in remission. What was that like for you? It was a dream come true. Um, You know, because you, you go through this process and it's just one bad thing after the other. Um, And I, I consider myself a very positive, optimistic person. And I was during that time, but there were definitely moments where I I hit rock bottom. Right. Right. I, I I, I mean, at one point as as a child, it's it's much different to, to, to process when you're a child. I mean, when I was a kid, just, just like, even we're not very far in age, but you know, you process things much differently in that you, you're fearless. I mean, even today, I still feel in a sense, I'm, I'm fearless. You know, I'm 32, I'm a healthy adult male. Nothing can happen to me, but that's not true. Anything could happen to me. Um, and you know, thank God we live in a country where, um, we can get access to healthcare, Mm -hmm. although it's not affordable, um, but we'll talk about that. (laughs) Um, but But, I mean, that moment when you, you heard it from the doctor that you are now in, in yeah. remission that your cancer um, is um, has left. Yeah. Um, I mean, what I cried. Uh, yeah, I cried. I, 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 yeah. I was sitting with my mom, my dad, and my younger sister. Um, we sat in the hospital room. The doctor told us that okay, you know, after all the tests and treatments, we can finally say that you are in remission. Wow. Um, and all of us just kind of looked at each other and we just started crying. I would have had a party. <laughs> I would. I yeah. mean, just I mean. Yeah. And, Going through that, and even as a as a kid and as a teenager, was it spiritual for you? It really was. Uh, <coughs> it, it taught me not only um, the importance of appreciating every single minute um, because you're not guaranteed it. Um, it also taught me to be very thankful because even though I had an awful situation, I looked around and there were so many other people who had had it worse off. And so it taught me not only about appreciating life, but appreciating the position I was in, um, having you know an amazing support network, having parents who had health insurance um, and could take me to the treatments, right. you know, having, having a family that were able to take time off to spend time with me and take me to my treatments, um, having teachers that were able to help me catch up with school. So I didn't feel like an outsider. Right. I didn't feel like I was missing out in life um, and having friends who were there just to pick up the phone call um, when I needed to talk to somebody. And that, that experience of, of going through cancer treatment and yeah. chemo, I'm sure it's life altering. It is. Just completely. I mean, it, it changes, changes everything. Yeah. And, and now, you know, even hearing the word cancer, mm-hmm. uh, all these emotions rush back to me. Um, and I think that is what I take with me every single day and everything that I've done in my life, um, professionally or personally, it is always waking up, being thankful that I have the opportunity to wake up. Is there a single person through that experience? And there may be many people that yeah. guided you through that, that, that were, of course, your parents, yeah. but was you know, it could have been your, your mom and dad or anybody yeah. else, but could, do you remember like a single person who yeah. said something to you during that process that made you fear less? Yeah. I mean, in addition to my family and my friends, um, you know, I would say there was one particular person. Um, he was a guy named Matty Stefanik. Uh, he was, uh, he might've been around my age, 12 at the time. Uh, he actually, he actually made it big cause he wrote a bunch of short poems uh, and actually Oprah, featured him uh, on her show when she had it. Well, if you get on Oprah, you go big. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, so, so this, this kid, Matt, uh, Matty Stefanik, he sat right next to me in one of my treatments um, mm-hmm. one time. And, you know, he, he was pretty much on life support at that time, but he was still able to talk and communicate. And he was a celebrity, right? Everyone in the hospital was like, oh, my God, Matty is here. Matty is here. Yeah. I didn't know about him until much later. But here's a kid who's on essentially this life support machine. Um, I am getting really nauseous, and I'm throwing up, right? through the chemotherapy and he turns to me and he just says, Hey, don't worry. You're going to be fine. Huh. I'm believing, I believe in you and I'm here for you. And 
that moment in particular broke my heart, but then it also made me feel so empowered. Because I said, here's a kid who I can visibly see is going through harsher treatments than I'm going through. Mm -hmm. And yet he has the humility and, and just the, the heart to come to me and, and say this and, and really look out for me. Um, I, think, I think that taught me the, the value of, uh, you know, the decency of people. Unfortunately, he did pass away a year later, mm -hmm. um, which was really tough. But again, I, I only met him one time. Right. And I sat right next to him for about an hour. Um, but just, just that, that small sense of decency um, and generosity really changed my life. You know, after you were in, in, into, into remission, was that at the point where your life, you thought, even at a young age, yeah. I, I want to do something yeah. that's going to help people? I mean, a lot of times people have... They go through cancer, they fight it, they beat it, and as we mentioned, it's life-altering, and yeah. it changes you, yeah. and you put life into a whole different lens. Yeah. And so was that where, around that time, is that where you got the political bug, that you wanted to go into yeah. some, some sort of public service? Yeah, so the political bug actually didn't come until a couple of years after that, but the public service bug uh, came in. Um, so uh, because I was a, a kid going through a life-threatening medical condition, right. the Make-A-Wish Foundation reached out to me and said, hey, you're eligible for a wish. Uh, and so I wished to meet Denzel Washington, the actor. You met him? I met him. Uh, it was an amazing experience. Uh, he's my favorite. Yeah, he's the best. Yeah. Um, and he was actually doing a show in New York, a Broadway show, Julius Caesar. Mm. And so they had a limo pick me, my mom, my dad, and my sister up from our home mm -hmm. and, you know, take us to the bus station. And then they took us to New York. Um, and I remember, you know, we got to see the whole, the whole city and we got front row seats to this show. I see him come out, do his performance. He's amazing. And I'm thinking, oh, this is the end of my wish. I got to see Denzel. I'm good to go. And then like, no, no, no. Now you get to go backstage and actually meet him. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I go backstage with my family and literally just from the abyss, he pops out and takes us to his dressing room. And for 15 minutes, he spends just chatting with us. Mm -hmm. And that moment, that was the first time that I looked at my family and I saw that I provided them with some sort of joy. Because going through that whole experience, I felt really guilty because everything that I was doing, I just saw brought my family a lot wow. of pain. Um, and so that was the first time I said, you know what? There's so much renewed hope right now. You know, and there's so much happiness coming from this awful thing that happened to me. And so right then and there, I said, I want to replicate this for as many people as possible who are going through similar issues. So then I started volunteering with the Make-A-Wish Foundation and became what they call a wish grantor and wish ambassador. So actually sharing my cancer story and meeting with other kids and their families who are going through the same thing and telling them, hey, look at me, everything's going to be fine. And B, I'm now going to help you grant your wish. Right. Um, and so that was kind of my first entryway into public service. Um, so then fast forward a couple years after that. So this is February of 2007. I'm a senior in high school. And, uh, you know, I signed up for some listserv to, to volunteer for the Obama campaign. I was not political. My family wasn't political. We were Democrats. Um, but it was mainly because he was a guy who, A, looked more like me than any other candidate. Mm -hmm. And B, was empowering people, nobody's like myself, to have a say in how his campaign is run. And I got that same sense of empowerment with his campaign that I got with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So that's actually how I got involved. It wasn't because of any specific issue. It was that sense of empowerment and the fact that I could have a say in how our government is operating. Right. And, so yeah. then <clears throat> you graduated from Churchill and you went off to college. Where, did, where was your undergrad? Uh, I went to University of Maryland College Park. Nice. And I did a dual degree in uh, business management and political science. So there, did you, were you active in politics? Yeah. So, um, so after the president won his first uh, election, 
uh, and when I went off to college, I actually uh, became his student director for the state of Maryland for his grassroots organization, OFA. So while I was in college, um, I, was, I was working on you know, this, this grassroots organization, organizing all the colleges and universities and high schools in the state of Maryland for the president's legislative agenda. So I did that. And then also at the same time, uh, because my parents are small business owners, uh, on the weekends, I would go and try to help them out in the business because um, I love both aspects. Because at the end of the day, it's all about community service and customer service and, and you know, providing a great value to the people who are supporting your organization. Um, so I, I was I was a pretty busy student, uh, but that also helped me stay out of trouble. And, you know, it was something that I love to do. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was a great opportunity. And then you went to work for the president. I did, yeah. So talk about that. It's a big, that's a big highlight in your yeah. career that is fascinating. And when I was downstairs before, um, we saw the photographs of you and the president. And I know that um, you're an Obama alum. Yep. And that's a, that's a hot commodity these days. You guys are being, you know, all... You know, I started listening to the the Pod Save America. They yeah. do a great show. I love those guys. Oh, they're great. And uh, I think you you may have probably passed them um, mm-hmm. in the hallways yep. and whatnot, but they do a great show. And you know, the Obama administration, um, they you know at you know as we look on the politics nationally now, um, I, I miss having somebody in the Oval Office that I really believe is a fundamentally decent person. And I look at Obama, and I just saw. I just watched the David Letterman special yeah. on Netflix. Did you see it? I, I, I'm, I, I have it on my to-do list. <laughs> okay. So when I know that free time is hard to come by these days, <laughs> Ashwani, but take a look at the, the, the new David Letterman. He's going to do, I think, six or seven episodes with oh, wow. people that he personally values, that he okay. really respects. And the president came out, <clears throat> and he just looks relaxed. Mm. And you know, it's been a year out of his presidency. And, uh, you know, he's he's looking, I'm sure, to build a library. Yeah. But I, I was really profoundly impacted by President Obama. And I didn't always agree with his politics or his policies, but that's aside from the point. But I think and watching him as a father, as a mm-hmm. husband, as a leader, I always found him to be extraordinarily decent yeah. as, a, as a human being and somebody that I would absolutely trust that would even enjoy spending time with her. So, it, you know, as it seems, um, and, you know, I don't like to gush over any politicians, mm-hmm. but I, I do see there's some true fundamental good in him. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure that you, you and I've talked about that and you've had that same experience. Yeah. And uh, tell us about, you know, what your job was in the administration and how you, uh, you know, how, how, that experience impacted you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, after the 2012 campaign uh, where I was organizing in Montgomery County, um, I got, I got the call to work in the white house uh, and I was there for four years and I moved around in different opportunities uh, that I was fortunate to get. Um, One of my roles was to increase the diversity of our political appointees in the federal government. Right. Um, So making sure that, you know, whether any federal agency, anytime there was an opening, uh, we had diverse candidates being sent over and then also making sure we're developing them and creating careers for them and, you know, making sure we have mentorship programs for the younger appointees, many of whom were serving their first job out of college. Can you define diversity? What, yeah. What is, of course, I mean, that me, to yeah. me, that, that says that diversity yeah. should reflect right. every aspect of our country. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, so we had a saying in the Obama white house called people are policy. Uh, and, and the notion was you cannot create good policy unless the people who are making those policies reflect the great diversity of our country. So I was specifically brought on to make sure that we are looking for candidates who are either women, veterans, 
people from the disability community, people from the LGBTQ community, uh, African-Americans, Latinos, or Asian-Americans. Um, so, you know, essentially creating a safe space for them and creating an opportunity for them to get these jobs that traditionally did not go to those people. And talking to these hiring managers, understanding, uh, having them understand, you know, these are great individuals who are qualified. They just may not have been given the same opportunity. So let's create those access points. Um, and so, you know, we did that and we ended up being uh, the most diverse administration in history. Um, and so I was part of a small team that helped lead to that. And, and um, you know, it was a big honor. And so after that, then I got promoted to be one of the White House liaisons at the U.S. Housing and Urban Development Department, U.S. HUD. Um, and it was my job to, again, build coalitions, increase the amount of affordable housing throughout the country. Um, and then after that, I ended the administration with two simultaneous roles. One was working at HHS uh, on the Affordable Care Act. Um, I was the director of, uh, of external affairs, so increasing our open enrollment numbers, making sure people understand how do you get access to affordable health care. Uh, and then I also served, and this is probably my proudest moment, um, I served as the director of outreach for Vice President Biden's cancer moonshot. And so that was our administration's efforts to help find cures for cancer. And we do that by building coalitions, uh, you know, whether you're doctors, researchers, philanthropists, or patients, bringing them all to the table to talk about how do we, how do we collaborate more. Um, and I was brought on uh, to create a national uh, strategy. So um, just with me and an intern uh, in a month and a half, I was able to create 273 summits uh, in all 50 states and Puerto Rico and Guam. So again, whether you are uh, a mother who just beat breast cancer and wants to bring five of your neighbors to your home to figure out, hey, how can we raise money for our local hospital? Or whether you're a place like the NIH um, and working with those researchers to figure out, hey, what are some other organizations we can partner with to get either additional funding or just additional models of collaboration? Um, and for me, that was a proudest moment because it was almost 13 years after I had cancer. So I was 13 when I had cancer, mm -hmm. and 13 years later, I am now mm -hmm. working for the president of the United States with the vice president on finding ways to end cancer. And, you know, it was, it was very heartwarming. Um, I, I felt like I had a responsibility um, to talk, uh, you know, to talk about issues that I felt and I faced with. Um, and I felt empowered and I, I was given a platform to do that. Um, so it, that to me kind of summarized my entire 10 years of Obama Biden experience is the fact that they were giving opportunities for people like me who have gone through these unique experiences and to fight for the values we care about and really understand how do you build coalitions and elevate the voices of those who feel marginalized or don't always get a seat at the table. Well, especially for Vice President Biden, yeah. the cancer has struck his family yeah. in, a, in a very tragic way. And yeah. when he lost his son, Bo, I remember that. That that had to be the most painful memory for him. Yeah. And he talks about it. And it, it hurts. Yeah. And every time I see the pain in his eyes, and he was so close to his son, and he had so much respect, and he honored him in a way that was before – the ca you know when the cameras were on, but when the cameras are off, it's a, yeah. it it's just it hurts to watch him because I think Joe Biden again is one of those great guys, and I I really like him as a person, yeah. um and who knows maybe he'll run for president this time. Yeah, I, I think Democrats have a lot of a lot of good people <laughs> who can run, but um, yeah, yeah. And let's talk about you. You actually have a friend who could possibly be running for president, <laughs> and uh, he held a fundraiser for you. Yeah. Um, and he was the former secretary of HUD. Yes, and correct. so he has a twin brother as well. He does. And his twin, what, so let's, what is his twin brother's name? 
Yeah. So, so his twin brother's name is Joaquin Castro. It's Joaquin. Who's a congressman from Texas. Right. Uh, and then the former secretary, his name is Julian Castro. Right, Julian. And who, he was the mayor, correct? Correct. He was the mayor of San Antonio at, at the age of, I think, 26. So oh, he was one of the youngest mayors uh, in the 26 country. years old. Yeah. In, in, in charge of a major U.S. city. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he. How old is he? Um, I, I, I don't want to mistake his age, but he, he's, he's pretty young. Um, but is he in his forties yet? I want to, I want to say he's in his early forties, mm-hmm. but I, I don't want to, I don't want to mess up the age. So you, he recently held a fundraiser for you mm-hmm. and that probably drew a good crowd. And yeah. so, um, He's definitely. Does he live in Montgomery County now? No. So actually, after his appointment ended in January of last year, uh, he moved back uh, to Texas. To Texas. Uh, with his wife and two kids. Great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and he's a bright future. Yeah. I mean, he he really is the definition of a public servant. Um, you know, I had the honor of working with him. Um, he became one of my mentors. Um, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, he's endorsed me in my campaign. But he's someone that I look up to as a role model because. He talks the talk, mm-hmm. you know, even behind the scenes. Uh, I've traveled with him all around the country um, and I've seen him when the cameras are off and there's no one around. And he's always talking about what is the bottom line? How is this going to affect this family or that person? Right. He gets really individualized. And I think I love that about him. And I think that's something that if, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to aspire to be right. I, if, if I'm honored to be elected in the county council, I want to govern that way. I want to be someone who's very mindful of actually listening to people, even if I don't agree with them or they don't agree with me, um, and reaching out to people who don't traditionally come to political events or have a voice. Let's talk about that. That is an, an issue that I think about a lot. We attend a lot of these same events together, right, Ashwani? Yeah. And we, we show up and we talk to plenty of people. Yeah. We see the same faces all the time. Yeah. I see the same faces. I'm sure you do. And event, event, event. You see the similar group of, what, 500 or 1,000 people who constantly pay attention. It's the activists. It's the people who are plugged into the campaign circuit, campaign people that are working with some of your opponents or elsewhere. How do we get more people invested in this process? Because I still still feel like that it's January. Mailers haven't really started going out yet. Somehow. But I I, I still feel like that there's so many people – that haven't been touched. Yeah. And the more and more that you can touch and reach people, yeah. I think that you're going to have a bit, much better opportunity to be one of those four. And right. on and in this race, there are four seats that are up for grabs at the at-large race. And then, of course, the individual councilmanic districts are, are up as well. So how do we reach those people yeah. that aren't traditionally involved in politics right. but still vote every time? You know, Absolutely. they're the they're the super voters yeah. that they may not show up to the forums. They may not even listen to this show and they may not read the blogs. They may not follow the news, but they still go out and vote. That's the people that you really have to reach out to yeah. because sometimes while they vote, which is exactly what we want them to be doing. I feel like that they may not have all the information right. that, or they just haven't been introduced to a certain candidate. And Ashwani in this field, distinguishing yourself is a major priority. Yeah. And, and so there's 30, 30 some people running, right? I, yeah, I, I think there's officially 31, if I'm not mistaken. That's more candidates running for four seats than almost any race in the history of Montgomery County. I, I think that's accurate. So, um, you know what? Yeah. How do we reach those people? And yeah. how can you distinguish yourself? Yeah. What is the, what's that process? Yeah. So I'll start by saying I think the, the great thing about Montgomery County is we are blessed with so many great individuals who are running. 
Um, and, you know, after, after the election uh, last year, the presidential election, um, we've started to see a lot of new people get engaged, a lot of new activist groups start up. Um, so we are seeing a higher level of engagement than ever before, which is great. Um, and the fact that we do have so many more candidates running, I think naturally will allow more people to tune in, understand that there is an election coming up. This is what a county council member does. Um, but then I think it really comes down to the candidates themselves to really create those platforms for those individuals, for those voters who are not always uh, engaged in our politics, right? Because they, they're busy, right? They have, some of these have two or three jobs. They have families to attend to. They're working really hard. Um, and they're not always given a voice or a platform to express their views. Um, you know, whether it's young people, people from uh, diverse communities, et cetera, or even geographically, right? People, depending on where you live in the county, uh, you don't always have the same access to opportunities. And so what I've been very focused on in my campaign is creating a, a rock star team of people who understand how do you run grassroots campaigns, right? For me personally, you know, living in the county at large and organizing in the county at large, I, I think I have a good understanding of how do you really reach communities all around this county. But then now I, I add in my campaign team um, and it's being very mindful. My campaign manager, for example, um, he's transgender and he was the first openly transgender uh, White House liaison in the federal government. Um, I have nine different teams, uh, whether it's a policy team, a communication team, a data team, et cetera, all run by women. I have a, a fellowship uh, program that I started that's specifically designed to get more students engaged and take leadership roles in my campaign and also teaching them not only how do you help me, but how can we develop you professionally and how can we teach you about how politics works, especially at the local level. So again, creating these opportunities and then also just doing the work, right? Getting out there. I spend all my time actually talking to voters, right? Um, whether it's over the phone or whether it's knocking on their doors, um, and for that, obviously, I need funds, but I also need a lot of volunteers. And I've been blessed to say that I have officially signed up 552 volunteers to my campaign. Wow. And so having those people... It's a milestone. Yeah, I, again, I'm, it's, it's been very humbling, um, but it also helps me get my message out in the best way possible, which is grassroots-focused, data-focused, and actually reaching out to those communities who don't come to these events that we always go to. There's a lot of those events. And yeah. And it doesn't matter whether it's a young person, a college student, and uh, somebody that's in their 60s who are retired that simply wants something else to do and <laughs> could could want to jump on board um, for any candidate for that matter. Yeah. Um, but that's that's a that's going to be an interesting thing to see is how we reach all these different communities. And in Montgomery County, we are blessed with diversity. We talked about that yeah. earlier. And there are so many different types of people in Montgomery County from so many ethnic backgrounds, mm -hmm. from cultures. And I have to tell you, I'm really happy that our kids go to public schools yeah. and they go to some really great public schools. Our, our, we think that they're going to go to Wooten unless mm -hmm. something changes and mm -hmm. they build the, the Crown High School and that changes. But yeah. I'm not sure that it's going to be in time because our son's going to go to the uh, He'll, he'll be at Wooten High School mm. next year, and our daughter will be there in three years. And we're all psyched about that yeah. because, as we know, Montgomery County has some of the very best public schools, Absolutely. not only in the state of Maryland, but really around in the country. The, in the country. And yeah. Churchill, yeah. Uh, Richard Montgomery, and Wooten. Yeah. We're, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled that we have that opportunity. Yeah. Just to go back to my point, that getting out and about and talking to people, having those basic conversations, whether it be all the way up in Boyd's down to Tacoma Park, from Potomac to Olney. Yep. There are people that 
pay attention. And then there's nothing more thrilling than having a candidate come knock on your door mm-hmm. and ask them for your vote. Yeah. And this is a huge county, and you have to have a diverse team that is going to go out and be able to hit these massive neighborhoods yeah. and different people in all different types of communities, whether it's, you know, we're in a more rural part of the community now. Right. But in urban yeah. um, Silver Spring, I mean, you may go to Silver Spring for a day and be able to hit 200 doors. Right. And that's a lot. I mean, and that's. And then I go to Poolsville, for example, or Clarksburg. And hit 50 doors. Yeah. And it takes you eight hours. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's, that's a bit of a struggle. Right. But nonetheless, engaging people. Yep. And I think social media is one way to do yeah. it. And, and you've, you've built a following. And, um, and you've also, I want to bring this up. Um, this past week was when candidates were required by Maryland law to, to post their numbers. And you did well. You did really well. How much money have you raised? Yeah, I, I've been very blessed. Uh, we have uh, a, a little more than $133,000 that we raised. Uh, Congratulations. From, thank you so much. And uh, we have that from uh, 540, a little more than 540 individual donors. That's excellent. I, I, yeah, I'm feeling, feeling very lucky. Um, yeah. And, you know, it gives me more motivation to make sure I don't let anyone down. Right. And, you know, it's not just those donors. I mean, you're working for everybody. Right. And, exactly. But it's that that type of coalition and those 542 people they believe in you they trust you and that speaks volumes and you are financing your campaign traditionally um i know many candidates have opted for public financing and i'm sure that you've i don't want to necessarily say you've taken heat for that but some candidates like yourself who've opted to do traditional financing um what was your method what was your how was how did you reason that out yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm a big believer in public financing, and I fully support it. And I'm, I'm really excited to see it benefit so many new candidates. Um, the reason I decided not to do it was I've just been very fortunate and blessed to have many family and friends, including my former colleagues from the Obama administration, who, like you said, believe in me, believe in my vision for Montgomery County, and want to help me get my message out in a county with a million residents and in an election with you know 30 plus candidates. Right. Um, and so for me, it's still been focused on running a people progressive focused campaign. I do have more than 540 individual donors. More importantly, I have 550 plus volunteers. And I have received uh, the endorsements of individuals, both nationally and also locally, uh, um, again, of, of people who understand that I am focused on issues and I'm focused on local issues that right. matter most to people. I just need some help getting my message out. True. And that's that's how you win. Right. Yeah. And, and I'll just add in, um, you know, another part of, of being very mindful of that is I'm not taking a dime from developers and I'm not taking a dime from corporations. Okay. Yeah. And, and in fact, I've actually uh, received some checks from them in the past and I've actually returned all of them. Okay. So no corporations and no developers. Correct. And what's your reasoning for that? Is it because you don't want to be beholden to any, I don't want to call, maybe you could call them a special interest, mm-hmm. but there are some candidates who have taken significant amounts of money from county developers. And is that just something that makes you uncomfortable? Yeah, I I don't, I don't want uh, my hands to be tied uh, by anyone. And again, I am running to represent my neighbors, the people that I grew up in and, and, and love. Um, You know, I I am running to represent the individuals in Montgomery County, um, whether they have a voice or not. And I want to be that champion for them. Um, and I felt like if I took money from corporations or if I took money from developers, um, you know, I, I may not be able to succeed in, in my mission. 
Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, Ashwani, as a as a young guy getting into this and in your twenties, have you ever been criticized that oh well, you know, you're too young, you know, <laughs> or that you know you've oh, this is great, but you know, try go go for something smaller. Has that has that ever come up? All the time. I would say. Uh, oftentimes in my professional life, um, I am usually the youngest person in the room. I'm also usually the only person of color. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I think uh, what, I, what I tell people is, listen, um, going through cancer at the age of 13, it really makes you grow up fast. Sure. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's being very mindful of, yes, that is going to be the perception that people have. Um, but it is now my duty to go above and beyond and, and be extra sincere, extra humble not have an ego about anything, um, actually listen to people. And when I'm able to do that, um, I feel like then people start to understand, okay, he actually knows what he's talking about. And oh, by the way, he also has a lot of experiences um, that can really talk about these issues in a really comprehensive and substantial way. Yeah, and I, I, the age factor for some people, it, it may never go away. Right. Just because you're a young guy and they equate somebody as being young, as inexperienced, right. and it's just – Working harder, yep, exactly. building trust, yep. and showing that you know the issues. Yep. And so speaking of issues and running in this race, yeah. there's lots of issues on the table for county council. And so I always ask candidates, well, take the top three, mm-hmm. and what are people talking about? When you're out in the community and you're knocking on doors and you're talking to people at various events all throughout this large county, yeah. what's on people's minds? Yeah. So, um, you know, I would start by saying the issues that people are talking about are not new issues. These are issues that people have been talking about for decades in the county. Um, But for me, my top three policy priorities are reducing our opportunity gap in the county, strengthening our local economy, and then also reducing traffic congestion. And I think, you know, the main duties of a council member are the budget, land use, and zoning. Hmm. And I feel like all three of those fall within those three policy buckets. And again, all the issues that people are facing tend to fall in each of those three buckets. And so I've been very mindful of not just coming with my own policy platform, but actually doing a listening tour of the county, meeting with not only community leaders and activists and current elected officials, but also meeting with real vet residents and real voters. Um, and so through that, I've been able to come up with, uh, with a really good policy uh, platform um, that I'm really proud of. Yeah. The, let's start with the, the last issue that you mentioned, which is traffic congestion. Yeah. And that is where I will look to leaders like yourself and many other coalitions and organizations that are looking to find responsible ways to get less cars on the road and to mitigate this massive problem. Yep. And we should state it here and now that we do have a problem yes. in Montgomery County. We have an infrastructure problem, yes, and there are there are thousands and thousands of cars that travel 270 and 495 every single day. And as I mentioned to you, you know, I, I work over in Virginia, and so crossing the American Legion Bridge, it all depends on which time. Now, I, if I leave early in the morning, then I can gauge traffic and <laughs> typically navigate and get my way over there within 35 to 40 minutes, right? So, but coming home, from Northern Virginia on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. Forget about it. I leave at six o'clock. Sometimes I don't get home until seven thirty. Yeah. That's time away from my family. That's time away from yeah. um, doing a minor detail. That's time <laughs> away from everything. Yeah. And luckily, I'm 
I, I keep myself occupied with Pod Save America podcast <laughs> in the car, but nonetheless, I, I, I don't want to be wasting my time and my life in traffic. I want to be able to get where I need to go in a relatively short period of time. Yeah. So what do we do? What's the, what is the steps to combat this? Yeah, so I, I would start by saying there's obviously no easy solution. If it was easy, it would already have been fixed. right. Um, but I do support uh, a comprehensive transportation infrastructure plan that not only reduces congestion, but also reduces pollution and, more importantly, increases accessibility and connectivity for residents all around this county, regardless of where you live. And I think there's a two-pronged approach to that. One is understanding the needs of residents in down county. And then also the second is understanding the needs of residents in up county. Yes. Both of whom face very different transportation needs. That's right. And that's where we need to, to draw the line and say what works down county is not necessarily going to work up county. Absolutely. And having lived here for, yep. for some time now, I can tell you that while I would love to take the Purple Line to work, while I would love to use um, – look, even the metro is inconvenient here right. in, in certain places when it works. And it's not accessible. It's not accessible. Yeah. But things like bus rapid transit, is that something you would support? Yeah. So, so you know, looking at what, uh, what I'm hearing from residents in down county, um, you know, a lot of whom are – when they go from Bethesda to Tacoma Park, for example, they can't get there without driving or without taking an hour-long trip on the red line through D.C. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, I do support the Purple Line. I do support expanding the bus rapid transit, the BRT system. Um, and I also support creating more designated bike lanes and also sidewalks and crossways near areas of mass transit. Uh, on the flip side of that, for residents in Up County, through my conversations with them, I've heard repeatedly that they feel their concerns are not being given the same considerations as residents of Down County. Right. I mean, this is these residents are not really connected by transit systems currently. Um, and, you know, the county created a master plan that encouraged development in up county, but did not provide that transportation infrastructure. And so for that reason, I do support investments in what they call the CCT, the mm -hmm. Corridor Cities Transitway, which connects Clarksburg to Shady Grove. Um, I also support a limited expansion of M83, mm -hmm. which connects Gaithersburg and Germantown. A limited. A li yeah. So, again, making sure that, you know, we're not. Uh, we're not. Um, we're doing everything we can to still encourage more transit options or more designated bus lanes. You know, again, making sure that if we expand roadways, which we should, depending upon where you live in the county, um, we're also doing in a way that we're still incentivizing people to take the bus or to to you know drive electric vehicles or to to carpool. Right. Um, and then I also support you know looking at expanding I-270 again in the same mindset of. Expanding I-270 if we're also creating more of these designated bus lanes or HOV lanes. Could we do reversible lanes? I, I'm also uh, – yes, yes. I, I think that's uh, – you know, reversible lanes, designated lanes. I think you have to look at all of these issues in a very comprehensive way. I imagine you've read the governor's plan to fix 270, and he has proposed adding toll lanes. What's your position on that? Yeah, I, so I will start by saying I don't think – in my opinion, I don't think the governor's plan is an actual plan. Um, partly because he did not take in consideration or even meet with the local elected officials. Yeah, and that's what I don't understand, yeah. right? So we've, I've heard so many different gripes about the governor's team yeah. not meeting with Montgomery County officials who live and breathe and eat and sleep this problem that right. we suffer. Right. Why? Why wouldn't the administration take the time to meet with it? Now, I haven't asked them, and I think mm. – on, on on the fair side, I, I would sure. I would love to reach out. I have that's true. I haven't I haven't really asked why, mm -hmm. but sure. I, I continue to hear from county leaders, yeah. Ike Leggett's office. I mean, yeah. that would be the first step is talking to the people yeah. that 
in the county where you want to make the fix. I completely agree. And I think that's the job of, of any elected official at any level. It right. is really building coalitions communication. and listening and, and open communication. And so I think right away, if you don't talk to the people who actually represent this area and know the needs of their constituents better than anyone else, then you're not really, really serious about making a plan. Um, and so I think we need to, when, when we look at these plans, we need to, again, keep all options on the table and make sure we're doing it in a way that still encourages transit and encourages more people to, to get off the roads um, or to share, um, share in the same vehicles. And again, collaborate with the people who are in the area. I think there's too many people in Montgomery County. <laughs> We we have a we have a great diversity uh, of people and and there's definitely a lot of people who live here but but rightly so right I mean you know like my well, there's a lot of people who live here but still have no access to affordable housing right no. right so and they get priced out of our cities when new development happens and it's not it's not affordable people want to move to Montgomery County because we are a well educated jurisdiction yeah. DC is in the backyard of us and let's cross our fingers that. Look, we're on the list for Amazon. Top 20. Okay? Yeah. And I know we all celebrated that. And we cheer that. That's great because it shows that Amazon did their homework and they understand that this is fertile territory yep. for not only a well-educated populace. Yeah. People here have, you know, excellent education backgrounds. Yeah. And we are diverse and we have a lot going on in Montgomery County. Right. But what I think could be a potential setback is yeah. that our housing is unaffordable, yep. and we have an infrastructure system that desperately needs to be upgraded. Yep. Because if we want to support 50,000 more people, right? right. You know, Rich Maddalino released a plan and said he wants to invest a billion dollars in our education system. Mm -hmm. Great. I believe in that. Absolutely. And he explained how he got to that number. But essentially, if you have 50,000 more people moving into our, our community, yep. that's increasing our tax base. Yep. Now, I don't want the state and the county – to give the bank away and right. tax incentives because right. exactly. I disdain corporate welfare. Yep. I really do. I mean, I think yep. that we, we need to take a look at yes, incentive packages, but not really at the expense of the hard, the, the hardworking taxpayers. Absolutely. And right. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, like I said, my parents are small business owners. They're a mom exactly. and shop. So, you know, and they started in Montgomery County and, you know, it's, yes, we, we have to, you know, do more to encourage um, these larger corporations to come and stay in Montgomery County, but we cannot forget about also incentivizing the small and medium sized companies. Right. Uh, I mean, just recently, yes, we had the great news that Amazon picked us in the top 20, but we also had, also had the news that discovery is leaving. Yes. And, and that's a bunch of jobs that are now leaving our county and disposable income that's leaving our county. And so, you know, I was talking with restaurant owners uh, and, and places around downtown Silver Spring that needed that support, right? Because now they are afraid they're going to have less foot traffic and less revenue because this To huge, put some people out of business. And, 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 put, and on, you know, hopefully not, but they are afraid. Yeah, and, they and should so, be. And so it's how do, we, how do we not forget about those individuals, right? right? How do we continue to create more thriving urban centers through smart growth? How do we have more inclusive communities with affordable housing as we continue to develop? And as also, how do we attract more young people to come to account, right? How do we expand our tax base in a way that's smart? Right. Um, I think one way from, from a young person perspective, for example, we're finding that young people don't just want jobs. They want careers. And so actually working with groups like Workforce Montgomery, for example, that actually creates career readiness and professional development programming that shows young people that, hey, you can create a career in Montgomery County. And it also shows these, these companies, whether they're small, medium, or large size, that you are now having access to a new skilled workforce. Um, and so, again, looking at all these issues in a very comprehensive way, I think, is very important. 
And then also making sure you're coupling that with the transportation infrastructure. Uh, one thing that we saw in Up County is they had all this development. They did not provide the transportation infrastructure, uh, and, and that really hurt them. And so we got to make sure, you know, as Discovery left, as Amazon is looking to move in, wherever we're looking in the county, we do not repeat the same issues that we have faced with in the past. Yeah, these kitchen table issues really, truly matter. Yeah. And another issue that we have to keep in mind is that in the now that we're a year into the Trump administration, this administration has been unruly and hostile to immigrants, people of color. Let's just call it as it is. Yeah. There's 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 no way around it that um, you know when the president you know makes a comment and and I, I fully believe what Dick Durbin said. There's no doubt when he calls you know s whole countries. Yeah. Um, Montgomery County has to reach out and say, we're not going to tolerate that. Absolutely. And you know, they did. And they released a statement. The council recently said, you know, we condemn this president's comments. I mean, these are our brothers and sisters. These are our neighbors. These are our friends. Our taxpayers. Our taxpayers. And I, listen, I live in a, we live in a community in North Potomac where we have to the left of us, we have um, Israeli neighbors to the right, our Pakistani to the right of them are Indian Americans, mm-hmm. and to the right, to the left of us, we have um, Russians, um, and we have an incredibly diverse mm-hmm. um, neighborhood. And our kids go to school with them. We have Asian Americans, mm-hmm. we have Chinese Americans, Korean, all in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And the more diversity that our our children are exposed to, the more that they understand and appreciate every culture yeah. and it's, it's really fascinating. And Montgomery County has to be a safe haven yeah. for our immigrant community. And I'm not saying, look, I am, I'm not someone that would ever advocate for people to break the law, right. but we have to protect our immigrants. We do. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, and you know, I talked to um, Muslims who have felt in this community that they were being discriminated against um, with the Muslim ban. You know, my, my, my other friend who's running for county council, Mohammed Sadiq, you know, he, I asked him, I said, you know, tell me about what your feelings are. And, and, you know, he's, you know, has he ever experienced that? And as someone of color, um, I'm sure that you're mine a lot. And that's, that concerns me because this community is so diverse and we are, I think we're a minority majority community. We are. So, and especially when, when kids are going into our public schools, they need to be able to feel safe. And so can you speak to that Ashwani? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yes, all, all, uh, all important issues that we need to talk about now. And so, you know, for me, uh, one way that I'm, I'm hoping to address this issue in some way is by, uh, is by declaring the county an official sanctuary county Mm -hmm. um, and having the political will to stand up. What does that mean though? Yeah, so, so, you know, what I found is, and, you know, speaking with law enforcement, speaking with immigrant communities, um, local law enforcement and policing depend upon community trust. And right now, even though we are a majority minority county, we are finding that we have immigrant families that are afraid of leaving their homes, and they're also afraid of reporting crimes mm-hmm. because they're afraid that they're going to get uh, judged on or they're going to get deported. You know, uh, and then we're also finding that students are not feeling safe. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking with a third grade teacher. And she told me, she said, I had a, a young, you know, one of, my, one of my students, third graders, young Latino boy. He came to me and he said, just out of curiosity, what do I do if I go home and my parents are deported? Mm-hmm. That should never happen anywhere in this country, let alone in Montgomery County. 
And so for me, when you make the county an official sanctuary county, you are standing up for the values that people come to Montgomery County for. And you're also making sure that these immigrant families know that, hey, we're going to stand up for you. We're going to make sure you're protected. And it also helps our local law enforcement. A couple months ago, I was speaking with one of the police commanders in the East County area, and he told me, listen, local law enforcement are not ICE agents. Immigration is a federal responsibility. That's right. But when you have local law enforcement acting as ICE agents, you are actually creating a sanctuary for crime, not for safety. So it actually is better for the families, better for the children, and also better for law enforcement when you make sure you're dividing those lines between federal enforcement and local enforcement you're making us safer, and you're standing up for the values we care about. Yeah, not only that, I think we need to pay close attention to data. And if yeah. people actually read data um, and not stick to talking points, is that there is no real data to suggest that, as this president said, that immigrants are bringing crime to right. our country. There's really? none. It's zero. It's, it's no. a fallacy. It's an absolute fallacy that uh, you know, people that, you know, look, I, I grew up in Western Maryland, and it's a much different culture there. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, having moved to Montgomery County, I, I definitely feel um, m- much more at ease to express these beliefs. Mm-hmm. I believe in a comprehensive path to immigration, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that we have to have a, a real conversation right. that um, is devoid of silly ideas mm-hmm. like building a wall. Right. And I know we're drifting into federal issues, but it all ties in because yeah. this, this affects our community. Yep. Um, and I think we need to take a real look at the immigration policy, but it's good to see that you're supportive of standing up for immigrants' rights. And not only that, I'm a fierce civil libertarian. Mm -hmm. I believe that if you are in our country, um, you are still entitled to the protections of our Bill of Rights. And you have the protection of speech. You have the protection to practice your religion without the government infringing upon that right. Um, You have the the very protection to to defend yourself um, if you are um, you know, tried for a crime, and if you uh, if you come into contact with police, um, you should be able to invoke your civil liberties at that time. And that is vitally important that we teach kids, students, how to exercise those rights and not be afraid. And look, ninety nine percent of law enforcement are our friends. I mean, absolutely, I, they're, I, they're amazing public servants. And and think about it, we have one of the finest police chiefs in the country right here. Yep. Um, and Tom Manger. This guy is A+. Plus. I, I, I've heard him speak. I've had an opportunity to talk to him. Montgomery County Police do their jobs, and they do it exceptionally well. We're, I, we, we're, I'm very grateful for that. Um, and, you know, Tom Manger has taken an excellent approach to community policing. Mm-hmm. So we should be very thankful for that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, a, a lot of the times when I've been at some of these other county forums – They've talked a lot of bit about climate issues, right? So let's let's briefly touch upon that because I know you've listed that on your website and you've talked a lot about science as well. So mm-hmm. what how can how can the county affect climate issues? Yeah, so obviously a lot of that um, is at the federal and state level, but there are certain things that we can do to to you know do our part for climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of my roles uh, before I worked at the White House was at a group called the Climate Action Campaign. Uh, and that was essentially my job was to find non-traditional partners. So traditionally, when you talk about climate change, you've got a certain group of people who are always coming to those meetings. And so it was my job to figure out how do we branch out? How do we talk about climate change in a way that uh, we bring in non-traditional partners? So, for example, talking with, um, with priests, 
and saying, oh, climate change is actually a human rights issue. It's a civil rights issue. It's a health issue. And then having them understand, oh, yeah, that actually does affect my community and bringing them to the table or talking with military leaders um, at the uh, naval base in Virginia and saying, oh, these rising sea levels are actually affecting your base and that costs more money. It's, it's, it's less safe. Um, so, again, finding ways to build those partnerships. And I think that's something that I would like to do uh, if I'm elected. Um, and we can do that in a couple of ways, right? One is when we develop, right? Like I said, uh, some of the primary duties of a council member are budget, land use, and zoning. Mm-hmm. So through that, we work with developers. Um, that as they're developing, um, you know, I want it to be a requirement that we will only give you an increased density or height um, if you include more affordable housing units than previously requested. So that's one option. But we also can go beyond that and say, we'll also give you um, increased density or height bonuses if you have solar panels on your new buildings, if you have designated um, uh, money that goes to green spaces or to bike paths, or if you have your parking uh, lots having more stations for electric vehicles. Right? All of those things are going to help uh, in terms of the climate change policies that we want to see. Um, you know, and then also something as small as uh, looking at banning certain pesticides that we put on our lawns. I'm a, I'm a cancer survivor. You know, some of these pesticides are very dangerous. Yeah, George Leventhal had a bill for that. I think so. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, so looking at, again, looking at what can we do at the county level, and th- there's a lot that we can do. And then, you know, going back to the transportation infrastructure, when you have more access to transit, when you have uh, more incentives for people to, to either carpool together or take buses or take the metro if, it, if you're able to get them access to it, that's reducing our pollution and our carbon intake. So, so there's a lot that we can do at the county level and then also partnering with our state delegation and really representing the values of our, of our constituents at, you know, in Annapolis um, with hopefully a democratic governor. Um, I think that's another way that we can kind of push on those issues. Right. In this crowded field, Ashwan, you are going to have to stand out in some way. And I think your story does that, but if you were standing on a stage with all 30 of your competitors and they went um, succinctly down the line and asked each of the candidates, what separates them? Give people a reason to vote for you. What is that reason? Tell us the listeners tonight. What, what is that tangible reason that they can hold on to that they can take it to the bank and that uh, you're going to be, you're going to be their advocate. What is that reason? Absolutely. I, I would say that I've been fighting my entire life. Um, to fight for the values that so many of us in Montgomery County care about. Uh, Going through my cancer experience has taught me um, how to elevate the voices of those who feel marginalized and don't always feel like they're being heard or listened to. Um, And then through my work in the Obama White House and on his campaigns, I have engaged communities all over Montgomery County, uh, whether it's getting them access to affordable housing, affordable health care, getting them opportunities to develop themselves professionally and increase the diversity of our politics. Um, and make government more representative, more responsive, more inclusive, and more accountable. And for me, as someone who has lived in the county at large and organized in the county at large, I think I, I bring that unique perspective to the table. And, you know, the fact that I am building a great grassroots team um, hopefully can show people that I'm serious about listening and building coalitions. Um, my hashtag is Engage in Power MoCo. And it's, it's, it is Engage in Power MoCo for a reason. It's because I think that the true way we can advance our politics and really advance the public policies that we care about is by engaging and empowering where they live, regardless of how they look or regardless of who they love. Amen to that. Where can people find you on the web? So my website's uh, voteashwanijane.com. Um, they can also use the hashtag engageempowermoco. 
Um, they can also send me an email at A-J-A-I-N-A-Jane at voteashwanijane.com. Um, and I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ashwani Jane Moko. When's the primary is? Oh, gosh, still six months away. <laughs> well, no, that's good for candidates. You have time. <laughs> you have time to get out there. Yeah, um, yeah the, the primary is on June the 26th, 2018. And then or, early voting, of course, will begin before. I always early vote. I like to, I like to get it out of the way. Yeah. Um, but there is a thrill about going on, on Election Day. Yeah. And, uh, Where's your polling station? Where do you vote at? Uh, Potomac Elementary School, actually. Oh, right down the street. Yeah, right, right down the street. Yeah, we we our polling station is Trevilla Elementary School. Okay. So right. we uh, I voted there. Uh, no, actually, even in Montgomery County, I've always early voted. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I know. I, I and sometimes I've had to vote absentee because I mm-hmm. either wasn't going to be around, but um, I've always voted. Yeah. And so this is a year where people are going to come out. I really believe it. I really this. I think this is one of those years where it, it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be a wave, but I think it's going to be. You're going to see some reflection of not anger, but just a change election. Yeah. Where 2016 was, of course, not the way that we had hoped it would go, and it was a setback. But think about all of the energy that has transpired because of that. That has been born out of. That presidential election that has invigorated people yeah. to jump into the conversation and say, I care, whether it be about a federal issue, about a state issue, or about a local issue, people are engaged. Yeah. And that's important because guys like you are going to be our future leaders. And as long as I'm able to do this, I'm going to contribute to this conversation and try to highlight people like yourself that are doing all that are running for the right reasons. And I've, I've encountered in my day, <laughs> my day, right. <laughs> I've encountered so many politicians, public servants. And mm-hmm. so um, I think that you have a, a, a great message to sell. And what I've noticed, and this is personal and take off my journalist hat, but I've noticed that when you say it, you mean it. And you have shown me that you're serious and that you're capable and that you have thought out the issues. And this is not to have a title, but you're truly trying to change the community for, for the better. And, um, and that's important. And that's, that's exactly what we want from our elected leaders. So I'm excited for you. You have a, you have a, an, an interesting path forward in that uh, there's six months to go and you have such a diverse territory. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know how you're going to do it. I mean, I, I don't envy you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't envy any of these guys that are in gals that are running for, for public office because Montgomery County is a huge place. But yeah. um, so just to wrap up, um, yeah. is there any upcoming forums where they can see you or has, has any of that been scheduled yet? I know that there are groups that are planning it right now. Okay. Um, I, I believe there is one coming up, but I'm, I'm blanking on the specific one. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, the, you know, like I said, on my website, I actually have a get engaged uh, tab. Yeah. And it's my public calendar. Okay. And anyone can go there. Every single public event that I go to, I put it on their oh, website good. so people can check me out that way. Excellent. Um, and they can also reach out to me uh, through the contacts that I have over there because um, I'd love to hear from them. And I just want to also just end by saying um, that you, Ryan, and your wife, Kim, are just just lovely people. Oh. And, and I, I, since, like, I remember Thank from you. the very first time that we met, we spoke about these issues in a very sincere way and not from a yeah. journalistic way or from a candidate way. It was no, just it's, a human way. Yeah. Um, and you, through the show um, you're providing a safe space to talk about issues that people care about in a really 
uh, humble and sincere way. And so I really appreciate everything that you do. As well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's what I try to do. And it's, it's all, I mean, I, I love this community. I like, I love talking to people and just having a conversation. And so I hope that reflects. And as I, I do this more and more often, um, I, I get a lot out of it and it's really the highlight of my week mm-hmm. and it's a good way to begin your week. And, um, and as I, as I mentioned to you offline that this interview is going to be available through, through a podcast and through, I'm, I'm sure your Facebook will share it and yep. um, on mine as well. And on my website at a minor detail.com. So with that, Ashwani, thank you for, uh, for, for coming on and spending the Sunday evening. And uh, I am, I'm excited for your career trajectory. I think it's going to be fascinating to, to watch how all of this race unfolds. But um, I, I, I think you have a bright future, my friend. So thank thanks for, much. thanks for doing this. Thank you. My all honor. right.